Hi, this is Sinan. What I'm about to say is going to be a bit blunt and rather direct, and I apologise for that, but I'll go for it anyway. This is the final episode of Big Red Potion. Um, it's not going to be introduced when you hear it, uh, in terms of the actual main show as the final episode of Big Red Potion. It wasn't when it was recorded intended to be, and uh, it's only a decision that was uh, to, to, to bring the show to a close. The decision was only reached a couple of months later and uh, it's just been a matter of waiting for the right time to release this episode and now is that time um, so when you actually do hear the episode you won't hear it being introduced as the final episode or discussed as the final episode or indeed concluded as the final episode um, we intended to do it um, to more but um, as as time went on this decision was the one that we came to I will get more into that at the end of this show for now, I just want uh, you to enjoy this show. It's, uh, I think it's on a good topic, an unusual topic, uh, as we like to sort of bring ourselves to in Big Red Potion. Um, and it's about video game bubbles and sort of genres coming to the ball and then going away as they have over the course of gaming's history. And, uh, you know, I was very pleased with this episode when we recorded it. I hope you will enjoy it as our final episode. Um, it may not be... Uh, like a special or anything like that, but I think as something that uh, it kind of epitomizes a lot of what Big Repotion was about, and I think it will be, I hope it will be enjoyable for you. So I'll be returning at the end along with Joe in about an hour's time to, to leave you with a couple of goodbye messages. Until then, this is Big Red Potion. <laughs> You are listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that hasn't been on the internet because of Error 37. Uh, my name is Sidan Kibber. I am your host. I'm joined by three of the regular four Big Red Potioners. Uh, our missing member is Joe, who I believe is on a plane from 
I think he's in Chicago and he's going to Minneapolis or Minnesota. It's one of the American places that begins with Min, but I I, I, I couldn't tell you right now. Um, I'm just impressed that I'm able to remember two of the American places that begin with Min. Anyway, I am. I'm joined by the other three regulars, and I will start uh, with my English friend. He is, of course, the host of Ninja Fat Pigeons podcast and the Game Burst replay shows, as well as a contributor to the Game Burst show in general. He's, of course, Gary's Antiriad Blower. Hey, Zan. I'm not doing too bad, thanks, Sinan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Long time no speak. I think the time we spoke was probably one of these things that we that we did. In, indeed it was. Yeah, I think that's before you had your your sort of being sent to Coventry for six weeks or whatever it was. <laughs> my uh, my uh, excursion, forced excursion. Yes, I, had, I don't know if I actually said it on the show, but what happened was uh, we had damp in our flat, um, in the whole block of flats, in fact. So a whole block got moved um, down a couple of blocks because we live in, in a university accommodation because my girlfriend's doing a PhD. So we were um, away and completely without internet minus a little dongle for about two months um which made you know being a freelance critic really fun uh but that's all been sorted now and uh, and i'm back which means bigger potion is back so exciting um now that that's cleared up shall i i'll make the trip across to to the west coast first where i believe uh freelance video game critic and general uh hair beard extraordinaire <laughs> Jeffrey Matlaff is joining us. Hello, Jeff. Hey, guys. That that was quite an introduction. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd like you to get a business card that says Hairbeard Extraordinaire. I think it would be I, cool. I actually do need to pick up some new business cards the next couple of weeks, so maybe I can make <laughs> if, you, if you are at E3 and you see a card with Hairbeard Extraordinaire on it, you know that it's from Jeff. You don't even need to look at the name. Uh we hope are, you see a hair beard extraordinaire. <laughs> you just see one. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, you may also see this gentleman at E3. He's, of course, GamerNode.com director and uh, uh, general superstar, Eddie Insato. Hey, you know, I always think that following Sinan's introductions, there should be like an applause track that we play in the background because it just sounds so perfect. And I'm doing great. Hi, guys. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's far too generous a compliment, but uh, I'll take it. Um, pleasure to hear all of you guys. Uh, again, we've been ages since we talked last. Um, I'm going to forego this time the kind of what we've been doing the last few shows, the whole introduction thing, and then talk about what we've been up to because it's been way too long. And honestly, I just want to get into this show topic because it's a good one. And uh, it is a good one because it's been suggested by. Uh, by Zan, who has been on fire with topics the last few shows, and this one's another another beauty. Um, I'm going to just quickly go through it, and then, I, and then I'll ask Zan what, what prompted him to come up with it. The idea that Zan came up with was looking at video game bubbles, as he put it. Uh, periods when there are a multitude of hits of similar games within a certain genre, but then all of a sudden those uh, that bubble crashes. Uh, he pointed to a few examples. He, he named uh, 2D platformers, yeah, and he gave the years as well, 1986 to 93. Fighting games, 2D, 3D fighting games, 91 to 97. Um, I could go on. We'll probably cover a few of them more on the show, but the, the recent one, which is an interesting one to look at, is, of course, military first-person shooters, 2005 to question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, so, Zan, what, what kind of made you think about looking at this, uh, at video game bubbles, as you call it? 
it all started from um, a debate I was having with uh, Leon Cox, he of Cane uh, and Rince, um, because I was I was comparing the current trend for military first-person shooters to the to the the sort of explosion of um, music rhythm games that we had a few years ago. You know, you only have to. I mean, um, for us in the in in, in the UK, we we watched the the, the UEFA Champions League final the other night, and there were two uh, adverts at half time for military shooters, and it it just seems that we're reaching the same point we reached with things like Rock Band and Guitar Hero three or four years ago. And um, anyway, to cut a long story short, we ended up having this sort of to and fro debate on the subject, and, and he said, "Oh, you know, they're just examples of genre," and he gave other examples of genre, and, and I then pointed out that the other genres that he was giving examples of had, had also had bubbles, and then those bubbles had burst. You know, so fighting games, two D platformers, point and click adventure games. Um, so I thought it was just a, an interesting thing to sort of to look at, you know, because you know the video game industry is cyclical. And just to look at how, you know, is this is this an example of a, of another cycle? Is this an example of another bubble, or is or is this something very different? Uh, and, and why do we get these these bubbles? Um, I think the sort of thing, the logical conclusion is that they're tied to the technology of the time. So, if I think back to two D platformers, they were common and popular because they were easy to make on those systems. But equally, you could do isometric stuff, and you could do you know there are various other ways of doing it. But certain Certain things seem to capture the audience, and then uh, because the video games industry is largely risk averse, certainly the big publishers are, they then try to sort of remake the same thing over and over again until people get sick of it. Um, so, it's just, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting because, like I said, that, that it easily sort of the cause that comes to mind immediately is, is technology, but then I think it's it's more layered than that and second to that even if it is you know that is the the major cause of things that's increasingly becoming uh less of a factor in in game making these days because you know we've kind of hit a a technology glass ceiling as it were as to what you can do with certain with certain games certain genres and um you know we're and we're, we're entering this the kind of area where we you know we've covered it on our motion control show where you you don't really know what the next step is for gaming in terms of technology is it visuals? Is it additional controls? I mean, what, what, what is it? And that, that's a whole separate question itself. But then it kind of turns back onto this and then says, well, what, what is going to happen to to uh, popular genres like the military first-person shooter, which clearly, I mean, I don't know if you, Eddie and Jeff, you, you agree, but I, I think in any way, like at the moment, I, I find it hard to see a difference between any of the major military first-person shooters that are out there any of them, Battlefield, Call of Duty, or any of the or the supporting players, I find it hard to see big differences between them. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that, but again, I haven't played them. I, I bet if I did, I could pick out minute differences, but from a distance, they do all look kind of similar. I wanted to... Uh, um, I, I disagreed with one little point that Zen had about technology being the main I think that's true for a while. You know, we were able to do first-person games and you know games with you know lavish cutscenes and all that sort of thing. But right now, um, I feel like the bubbles—it's you know, as Dan mentioned, the games are cyclical. So right now, we're going back to 2D platformers, which are hugely popular on XBLA with games you know, like this Explosion Man and Trials HD, which is basically like um, 
you know, 2012's version of Excitebike. And, and my prediction is I think that point and clicks might actually come back or they might actually be pointing, but, uh, you know, old school adventure games, like, uh, you know, right now on Kickstarter, there's that whole, whole blue about Tim Schafer, but also the Space Quest guys and Jane Jensen from Gabriel Knight and uh, Leisure Suit Larry. Like, all these, like, all these genre um, series are coming back right now. So um, I'm kind of curious to see what, if that one's going to, like, I, I predict that it will be not as, you know, top selling thing. I think it's still going to be kind of a niche genre, but I think it's going to be way more popular than it's been since, you know, the early 90s. I think that's true about these. There are a few cases of bigger developers coming back to what you might call older style games, but a lot of it also, a lot of the new instances of games and like you mentioned xbla it's a different class of developer altogether who in their own personal uh quest for game development are back at an earlier stage just like the technology was back in the 80s and 90s these developers who are maybe one or two people they beginning at like an earlier period you know chronic chronologically comparatively like if it's their first game, then obviously they're not going to be making a million dollar game, you know, the $10 million game uh, that maybe Activision or EA could spend on their games. So in a way, it, it's still, um, there's still limitations there that dictate what types of games people make. And now because we have the platform where everyone can get into it, it it's just that cycle is happening again. There's a really good example of that with the BitTrip series because they effectively started with Pong. <laughs> so it's sort of going right back to basics. Basic. Yeah, I mean, and again, you could also look at, I suppose, Pac-Man as something, you know, another example just where that game can be recreated and, and redefined on on a on the downloadable uh, platform. I, I think that's sort of... With 2D platformers, I actually think that's a little misleading. I would, I would argue... That this is the one in, in Zan's list, and I will go through this list in a second, that I kind of disagree with, because I don't think 2D platformers ever really went away. I think there was a, a little point when, uh, you know, the N64 was coming along and, and PlayStation and all, and all that stuff, and we had the 3D sort of blip, as it were, and we had Mario 64... Or and uh, I guess you could also look at some of the ones that didn't work so well, so as, as Sonic and and um, and Bubsy and, and all those other kind of games which didn't really do as well in the 3D, and um, it didn't particularly last. And now we're at the stage where you know Super uh, New Super Mario Brothers Wii outsells Super Mario, Mario Galaxy, and um, Sonic is back in 2D, and these are the major players in, in 2D platforms. Rayman is back is 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 2D. So um, I'm not. I, if 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 it did go away, I'd only suggest it's because of a sort of futile endeavour to try and making 3D platforms work. Not that 3D platforms can't work, but it, it it didn't really sway the industry or the audience that particularly well. I think. It- yeah, I would call the 3D platformer more of a bubble than the 2D platformer, and because that bubble happened, that made that lull, like you said. I think it. You know, yeah, there was when I was sort of looking at the numbers. Um, you know, you're right. You know, 2D platforms have never really gone away, other than probably the N64 PlayStation era when they just sort of almost disappeared. Um, but if you, I. When I was going through, I, one of the things I was keen to, to look at was something I remembered, which was the 
the, the, the Game Boy, and I think it was in 1990, if I've got my facts right here, I looked at uh, a sample of about 100 games that were released on the Game Boy in 1990, and all but about six of them were 2D platformers. So there was definitely a bubble, but you could argue that it never really burst. It kind of just deflated a bit. But there was definitely a bubble. There was a point yeah. where you, you couldn't sell anything, on certainly on a Game Boy and to a certain extent on a SNES, unless it was a 2D platform. And that was like, you know, every single movie tie-in, every single you know, like me game was trying to emulate what Super Mario Brothers was doing. And I, I, a really good example, you, you probably never played it, but um, they brought out a, uh, a game on the Game Boy um, to tie in with the movie Batman. I don't know if you've ever played it, but it is the worst 2D um, Super Mario Land rip-off you'll ever play. And it's hilarious, <laughs> because it's just basically Super Batman. Mario Land with a little tiny Batman. <laughs> I, I actually I remember there being an Amiga Batman, yeah, which was, was a two D platform. That was good, yeah. yeah. But um, I also know the Game Boy one you're talking about. And it, yeah, it's no, Super it, Mario it's Land. I, I actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it wasn't the only one by any stretch. No, I mean, there there's obviously the famous example of of Great Guiana Sisters, which um, a lot of people argue is better than mm-hmm. the original Super Mario Brothers and uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, but um, Zool and yeah, Zool, yeah. So I mean, I I recently wrote an article um, looking at. Sort of gaming mascots which I'd like to see brought back it was just a humorous thing but looking at all the gaming mascots these were all 2D platformers from the sort of 90s era things like um, uh, like uh, Andy Kid, I think is that name yes uh, and and Zool and uh, and even like Mick and Mac from MC Kids and this that, that whole era you point to 1986-1993 I remember going into um the Devon store in London and going to the top floor and it was just covered in Sonic and Mario posters and uh, and uh, like you know cutouts and just shelves covered with the games and i think it was there as far as gaming was concerned there wasn't another game another genre out there it was just 2d platformers so yeah like that was definitely not so much as a bubble it's just a completely consumption of the industry and i don't think we're ever going to see anything like that again no um but I'll, I'll read a list of the other the other ones you mentioned because they're interesting and, I, and I, again we could sort of look through and see what what were the sort of triggers for them. Um, so you said two D three D fighting games, which nineteen ninety one. I'm guessing you're pointing at Street Fighter two yeah. as the as the real instigator. Nineteen ninety seven is the I think Street Fighter three and Alpha Tekken Tag as well. Right. Um, and then and then there was obviously a bit of a, a bit of a gap with. Uh, I think Virtua Fighter came out around that time as well, but maybe maybe a bit earlier. Um, okay, so we'll come to that in a second. Point and click adventure games, 1990 1995. Again, that's another one which has made an interesting return. Um, let, let's talk about that one actually. Point and click adventure games. Now, um, is that is that to do with technology? Is that to do with the downloadable space, or is there something else going on? Point and click adventure games and them, and them coming back into vogue. I sort of see that as a as a counterculture movement, actually. Whereas now we have all of these big action pack, you know, like popcorn games, and there are a bunch of gamers who would really rather have strong narrative. And I think that's what that is. You know, there there are developers there who are there to provide that for the gamers who want it. I don't know that it's necessarily a narrative thing because, I mean, there's first-person shooters with strong narrative, like the Bioshock series, Half-Life. Um, so I, I 
think it's just a different type of experience. And to be honest, I don't really know why it went out of vogue. Like, I, you know, I was a big fan of that genre up until the end. You know, like, I loved Grim Fandango and the later Monkey Island games when they came out. And I just remember being really disappointed. And that was, like, kind of around the time that I stopped being into video games. It wasn't just that. I, um, there wasn't, like, a great point-and-click game to, like, pull me back in or anything. And... And I don't know. I think maybe people just think people wanted action. And, and like, I don't, I mean, that was always there, though. There were always action games. So um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Not, um, I don't just mean that it's only narrative, but the fact that point-and-click adventure games aren't action-based. They don't require, you know, a a twitch response sort of gaming experience it's something that someone can play and enjoy in a more relaxed way i think there's definitely a desire for that among some gamers i think it's interesting again looking at it comparing it to td 3d fighting games i think there are other things going on in the background which are important to consider i think with point and click adventure games you have to look at what was going on with pc gaming and there was i think that switch towards um, towards shooters around that time and I think as well PC gaming and console gaming was changing around that time the SNES and the Mega Drive were becoming huge and we went into to see the N64 and the Playstation become huge and um, it, is there an element of saying that it almost like gaming was growing up out of out of pointing their games like even though they weren't childish there was a kind of a feeling like you know Sam and Max and and Monkey Island. This is not where gaming could be. This is this is something that's outdated and almost quaint. I, I think uh, was, compared to where it, there was a difficulty oh, in terms of gameplay, like in terms of the way. You, go ahead. I, I was I was, was going to say something similar. Actually, I was going to say that, you know the there's a, there's a distinct gameplay difference, but I think that one of the reasons for for the fact that it didn't survive is that it was difficult to make the transition from point and click on a PC or Amiga or ST to a console. You know, it wasn't that yeah. wasn't an easy transition at the time. It's easier now because we're used to dual sticks and, and, and sort of mirroring those types of controls. But back then, um, as we as we know with RTSs, it was very difficult for, for those particular types of games to move over. And I think that was one of the reasons. Because there were a few, weren't there, on the, on the original PlayStation? There was a few point and clicks. And I remember one of the Monkey Islands. Was it Curse of Monkey Island? I can't remember which one it was now. And one of those got a PlayStation Didn't 2. Didn't Broken release. Sword make it as well? Yeah, Broken Sword as I well. I think it was the last one. Mist as well, technically, I suppose. It's a... Yeah. But there, there weren't that many. And I think it was part, part of it is, like you said, is mechanics. You know, they just don't translate as well. Um, and I think that you know there was there was um, the when the PlayStation came along. I remember quite distinctly it really had a massive impact on PC gaming. So at the time, that's what I was, I was spending the majority of my time on. You know, and PC games wanted desperately to emulate what the PlayStation was doing. It was a really weird situation. It was one of the few times where it kind of fell behind, where PC the PC kind of fell behind the curve and got gazumped. And you know they were desperately trying to catch up, and they were almost aping what what they were doing. I remember playing. I don't know if you remember a game called Screamer on the PC, which is basically you know a rip off of Sega Rally. But you know the consoles at that time were leading with that sort of technology, and that's probably why they they drifted away. But yeah, I, I yeah. I, I mean, I'm personally I'm glad they're coming back because I, uh, as Eddie says, I think they offer something 
they offer something different. And for you know somebody like myself who, who likes a, a smorgasbord of different types of games, then you know they they do offer uh, a relief and something interesting. Um, I definitely agree about the transition back in the mid to late '90s from PC gaming, and I don't I don't think point and click adventure games work on consoles. For me personally, they they just don't work. I can't play them on a console. But on a piece, they're wonderful. And there was a time when Steam didn't exist. And, you know... <laughs> that was a long in, time ago. <laughs> in 2000... I think it came out in 2003, maybe? Half, Half-Life Half yeah, 2. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 2003 was Steam. And since then, we've started to see point clicks come back there was you know that whole period we ended in 1995 in our list of uh, bubbles so from 95 maybe to, to 2003 pc gaming was emulating console gaming in their retail box releases and you know then pc gaming sort of got its resurgence when steam could do deliver it on a broad scale to the masses like the marketing of consoles did prior to that but, it, but it's also interesting then looking at what Sam's put beneath point-and-click adventure games on, on, a, on his list, which is RTS games, and he's put the year following on from point-and-click adventure games in 1995, which is Command and Conquer, right? Um, uh, to two, 2005, which I guess you would say is, gosh, um, Red Alert Three. What, what game? Red Alert Three. Is that no? That's a bit later. So Total I mean, War. Total War. Total yeah, War. the kind of that movement. Um, and clearly, that's the case. I think that. that well, I think it's clearly a case of PC doing what it could do and consoles couldn't do, uh, which is strange mm. that point-and-click adventure games couldn't have this excess. But clearly, at that time, you know, StarCraft and Command and & Conquer and all these games were, were flourishing on PC because they could only be on PC. I think in one year, mm. there was something like seven or eight RTSs came out on the PC, things like Total Annihilation, and there were, there were loads. They are all very, very similar. There were a lot of... Good ones too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell, yeah. Total annihilation. Total annihilation is still my favourite. I think of all of them. But yeah, they there was there were just loads. You know, it was like if you were playing on a PC, you were playing RTSs or turn-based strategy games. You know, it kind of it was weird. You know how that that sort of it was it's almost like a, retreated behind that. You know, um, underneath the the shadow of the PlayStation. Like that's where the PC gaming went. What's the RTSs? Say um Looking at that example, Ron Gilbert, the creator of Monkey Island, made Total Annihilation. Like, you know, he's he switched genres when he did send to the uh, one point six are dying. I did not know that, and that totally explains why I love TA so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if that's why he did it, if it was like a business reason or he just really liked strategy games too, but I always thought that was a really peculiar move. So oh. okay, then we just answered the question. Point and click it. Adventure games went away because Ron Gilbert went to RTS games and that took us to 2005. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> Podcast over. So this has been another... No, um, <laughs> I think it's... But that's an interesting one because I still... Like Eddie's saying with point-to-click adventure games on consoles, I, I, I agree with you to some extent. I mean, I played the Wallace and Gromit games on 360 and they were horrendous. I think mean, they're just a bad example, frankly. But um, I think they're also in some way... Uh, is symbolic or endemic, whatever the word is, of, of the problems that consoles still have with point-and-click adventure games. Um, RTS games, I don't think, have really made the transition to consoles. Uh, I don't subscribe to the things that Halo 
Halo Wars or um, Command & Conquer, Red Alert 3, any of the games have, are, are as good on consoles as they could be or are on PC. And um, so you why... why what, you oh, sorry. Change that. oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm just wondering if you think the Wii U could change that because of its like mix of touchscreen and, and a full screen. Like, I think it would be good for... Um, for real-time strategy games, but I'm skeptical of, you know, the fans of that genre will jump on board to a Nintendo the, system. The Wii totally should have. I mean, I, people have heard me bang on about this many, many times before, but Anno Create a New World, which is called Anno Dawn of Discovery in the US, on the Wii is astonishingly good. You know, the controls on it are, are I think, better than playing on a, on a PC with a mouse. They are phenomenal. And I just can't understand why... What game was that? Anno, in the US it's called Anno Dawn of Discovery. Uh, in Europe it's called Anno Create a New World it was a completely re-engineered version of Anno for the Wii I think it came out in 2009 2008, 2009 yep. and the control system on it is just <laughs> superb and it's probably the best example of, of making use of the full set of Wii controls of any game on that system other than Mario Sunshine it's just, you just and I cannot I really cannot fathom why that didn't become a platform for real time strategy games because it just worked perfectly weird that's amazing, because, I mean, you know, I'm sure you guys have played Wii games where the precision of the Wii remote is just nowhere near what you could get with a mouse, yeah. and that, that's what I always felt about it, because I played um, a couple of the point-and-clicks, uh, the Sam and Max games on the Wii, and it just wasn't the same, and that's even a, that's a slow-paced game, but with an RTS, I feel like I would go insane trying to precisely and rapidly click all over the place because RTSs basically move at the speed of light. <laughs> um, so I feel like the mouse is necessary for for me anyway. Or or maybe just I've never experienced it done well. I mean, I, have, I obviously haven't played that game, but maybe I should. But maybe it's not easy to recreate that, you know, if only one game could really do it well. Yeah, I mean, it, thinking about it, Anno is a little bit slower. How many it's, tried? Not, it's not a kind of StarCraft doing mass queues, but it's it's similar, but it's not not that sort of speed. But the, the reason they're able to achieve it is they use the nunchuck to scroll the page. So, you know, so one of the things mm. you do on the on the on the you know when you play it on playing an RTS on a PC, of course you're selecting with the mouse, but you're moving the screen around with the keyboard, and they basically map that to the nunchuck, and they mapped all the selections from the nunchuck. So really, you're only using the 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 Wii remote to click on things and pick them up and move them so it's like it was like literally drag and drop that was the way they did it so it's just made it really quick and intuitive but yeah maybe not a you know uh, 501 things being built at once it might struggle yeah a quick point I want to make on, on, on RTS games then I'll just let Jeff say what he's going to say um, is that I think with the with the 2005 death as you've put it there which you know I wouldn't call it death I just call it bubble bursting is is clearly to do with that genre. Even though there are, you could point to a number of names that RTS players will know, things like um, like uh, Total War, for example, and um, uh, my RTS lack of knowledge is completely exposed. I was going to say Starcraft, but these the big example, Starcraft and Conquer Conquer the two. I would say the big names really in that genre. And the thing is, with Starcraft not having a sequel until just recently, and with Command and Conquer completely kind of losing its, its sort of fan base with the Switch TA. It just shows that when a, when a game is built really solidly on just a, a genre, sorry, it's really built really solidly on just a couple of games, it can kind of come under it when those games drift out, drift out of the limelight. And I guess the, 
you know, the, the, the big long wait for StarCraft to, to some extent, was a big problem for that genre in terms of people coming back to StarCraft 2 and saying, well, you know, oh, I want to be, I have to be interested in RTS games again because it's back. Well, it was 10 years from the, from the last one. So, um, you know, I think uh, sometimes it can be just this, this uh, a matter of a few big names drifting out of public consciousness. I don't know. That's a, that's a fair. What were you going to say, Jeff? I'd say that's fair. Like, because they, you know, those players may have just moved on to other things and gotten involved, especially since gaming is that type of pursuit in that you, a player can get involved in a particular type of game and spend most of their gaming time on it. I, I mean, it's a little different for people who review games, you know, as a living, because uh, you play everything, but some people just, you know, know they're into what they're into and that's what they play so when something's unavailable just move on and then you're into that and you know mm. sorry yes yes jeff what were you gonna say oh um nothing important i was just thinking <laughs> um I, I was just saying I, I don't think that anna was released in north america i'm googling it right now and maybe i'm missing no it definitely was it's it. Dawn of, I, I see it for ds i think it's called just i think it might just be called dawn of discovery definitely had a u.s release then. yeah that's what i'm that's what I'm looking at. I see it for DS, but anyway, it, it doesn't it's matter. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I, I guess I'm wrong then. I just, I mean, the point though is that like there haven't been any big companies. Like, that's a very niche thing. You know, we haven't had like a SimCity on Wii or something that can maybe point people in that direction. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I also think that question of the audience for, for Nintendo, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If they are the RTS playing audience, right? I think um, that would be the biggest problem is that people for genres that are very specific to to PC, getting those people to migrate over is is really difficult. Like unless there's a control scheme that's like that significantly better. Yes, absolutely. The one, the one I want to go back to our to um to 2D, 3D fighting games because again, it's another. I think that's another example of. Um, looking at what was the thing behind the bubble and is that not the arcade era as well you could really look at as the as the early 90s and the 80s really and I think you could almost say with the fighting games do they not go back to beat-em-up games uh, as well and it's kind of just this natural progression of uh, from you know things like Double Dragon towards Street Fighter and then one day the arcades were, were not really there anymore yeah mm-hmm. It's almost like the 2D platformer just evolved. 2D platformer, beat em up, to one-on-one, beat em up. I think what it takes normally is for one sort of big tentpole release to, to really sell badly. And that's what then makes the bubble burst. So a good example recently is, is Rock Band 3, which you know didn't sell anywhere near the amount that the previous two games did. And that was virtually the nail in the coffin for all the other games in, that were being put out there. Um, and I think you have the same with with fighting games. I think there was a there was a period where I don't know you, you know better than me, Sinan, but they were churning out a different Street Fighter every six months to the point where people just stopped buying them. And at that point, the rest of the industry looks and goes, "Oh, people aren't buying these anymore. What's the next new thing?" And, that, and that's kind of when it it disappears. And then, mm-hmm. and then that, you then get five years of 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 pent up uh, anticipation while well, people then wait for wait for these things to be reborn like point and click and like with um, Street Fighter Four you know so it is weird what I think that, yeah oh, sorry no no cool. 
I was going to say, I, I think um, the reason why why TD platformers have lasted as long as they are, is if you look at the Nintendo strategy with Mario, it's not to go down that route of releasing a new Mario every six months. You know, there are big long pauses between Mario games, and so there's actually that that uh, that waiting so you can kind of sustain it over a long period of time. And um, you know, it's it, it, it's absolutely definite that there was an oversaturation. With just, just within Guitar Hero and Rock Band, forget you know other games that were trying to ape it, like you know um, Konami's disastrous <laughs> Rock Revolution, um, and all the other games that were trying to, to ape uh, what Rock Band and Guitar Hero were doing. It's obvious that it was just they were trying to they were too greedy, and it and it you know at one point you could sell ten million copies of a Guitar Hero, the next year you could not sell one million copies, um, and it it was pure greed, I think. That example, yeah, definitely. He's got a brand new car, looks like a Jaguar. It's got leather seats, it's got a CD. The, uh, what's the next one on the list? After RTS games, it's and this is an interesting one. Um, it's racing simulation games. You, you've pinpointed 1997 to 2005. I think 1997. You're, you're saying Gran Turismo yeah. um, on a PlayStation. Um, 2005, maybe Gran, not Gran Turismo 3, but the, the kind of the, the beginning of the Xbox racing games. Uh, yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, so it was Gran Turismo, I think, and I would also include Wipeout. I know Wipeout's not really a, a simulator as such, but it is it is a racing simulator of a kind. Um, right. And there was just a... I mean, I, I can tell you a story, but I used to know a guy who worked for Psygnosis, which then became Sony Liverpool, who actually worked on the first two or three Wipeouts. And after they'd had the phenomenal success, um, they wanted to produce a completely different game. They wanted to do something totally different. And the... the this is just be, this is just after Sony had bought them, and the Sony execs turned up and said, "Right, okay, uh, you know, we tell us what your project is. We're willing to fund it, providing it meets the following criteria." And they listed a whole load of stuff, which basically said, "You know, it must be a racing game. It must do this. It must do this. There must be combat." Blah blah. Basically, so all the bullet points you'd have on the back of the box for a wipeout game, and you may remember it. They made a game called Roll Cage, and that's because that you know their owner basically said to them, "You can make anything you want." as long as it's the same game. And that's, you know, and they basically made Roll Cage within those parameters. So, uh, you know, that's a really good example of how, you know, you, you, you know, the industry almost feeds this the, the bubble, if you like, you know. Uh, and, and those games just sold hugely, massively. You know, Gran Turismo 2 and uh, 3 were massive, massive sellers. And then I, if, I've just looked at number of sales for Gran Turismo 3 it's 15 million worldwide yeah. One five. I mean that's insane when you think of how those games sell now yes they did I mean within the last 
two years, I think, four or five studios that specialised in doing racing simulation games have gone to the wall. You know, you've lost Blizzard, we've lost BlackRock, uh, we've lost, uh, what was the one quite recently, um, Eden. You know, there's, they're all of them. They're just, they're just all falling on their ass because they're, make, they're spending a fortune making these games and just no one's buying them anymore. And it's, it's a clear sign that, you know, the bubble has definitely burst when it comes to racing games. Even Forza 3, I don't think, did as well as Forza 2 did. Would you say that this is one example that is tied to technology? Because at that time, when those games were becoming popular, that was the first that a developer could really emulate what you might see in real life, you know, with cars. And then... as time went on like okay we handled that and there's much more you can do what else can we emulate really well you know you know now it's people and tanks and guns and all that sort of thing because on our list we have racing simulation going to 2005 and then we have a few others beginning at 2005 you know at the beginning of the next generation of consoles which could then do more i think so i, I think we've we'd, sorry, sorry I, was gonna, I was gonna yeah i was gonna say the they've um uh, I think it was Turn 10 and another studio, I think Marvin Codemaster, actually recently at one of these sort of GDCs or something, they actually said that. They said that for us to make another racing game that sells 5, 10 million copies, we need new hardware. They were basically saying that that's the limitation now. Because they've gone as far as they can with it, uh, and all they seem to be able to do, certainly in the last few years, is just make things blow up. You know that you know that's 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 how racing games have evolved. We just put explosions in it now and hope that people will then buy into it. And um, they, they kind, they kind of, they're kind of stuck. They need something else to. Uh, I mean, I think from their point of view, they're looking at sort of physics engines and things like that. You know, they they feel that yeah. they make a massive difference. But I think you're right. I think that's that's the primary cause. Because when Gran Turismo came out, it blew people away. You know, and if you look at it now, it's quite laughable. But I mean, it, it you know the 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 graphics, the sense of speed, and and the the realism of it was something we no one had ever seen. And that then got better and better and better and better. But by the time you reach the HD era, okay, you've seen it in HD now. It looks fantastic. But where do you go from there? And, and, and that's definitely where that particular bubble has, has sort of hit a spike. I, I, I find I, it. I'm oh, sorry. There you go. I find it hilarious that you mentioned blowing things up because as I was saying that, I just kept thinking to myself, now the cars have more damage, realistic damage. And that was like the only selling point for a few years on new simulation racing sims. And I was like, well, cool. Thanks. You know, like, whatever. <laughs> it, is, it is funny to look at the whole um, period of, of Grand Turismo 5 being in development and reflect on you know, how much hype Sony were trying to build up for over this time. And it just, I think in a, in a way, you know, they, they could, they themselves killed any chance of bringing back that genre to its previous heights by just drawing it out hugely. And again, a bit like with Starcraft, you know, people will only wait so long before they move on to other things. But I, I, I to Zan's point, I think it, as much with the realism of the controls and everything, I think it was the graphics, surely primarily, which really sold yes. shifted copies of Gran Turismo and and because that genre and its success really coincided probably not uh, accidentally with with the the leap in graphics yeah, that occurred poly, at that yeah, time polygons basically that's what made all the difference yeah because it gave a sense of realism to it yeah but um yeah now it's not enough you know hd everyone's used to hd graphics there's only so much you can do so 
They kind of, I think that is a genre that will need to go and park itself in a garage for some time and then come back later. <laughs> I, I, I generally do feel it's had its day. I mean, Virtual I played, reality. Indeed. I mean, I played, what was the most recent one? The, um, uh, the reboot of Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer Unbound. Unbounded? Yes. Yeah, which was by the guys who made Flat Out. And it's basically just Flat Out with Ridge Racer cars, you know. And I was playing it and thinking, yeah, this is okay, but I've played this. This is the same game I've played about six times now, you know, Split Second and and, and Mo- Storm. And they're, they're all the same now. They're just, you know, they've completely, they've exhausted, they've exhausted the locker as to what they can do now. And I thought, now this is, this, I mean, even this those, is the end. <laughs> and even those games which try to spin different things, like like second and blur um ultimately ended in, in their companies who were behind them getting closed because of their poor sales so yeah. uh that genre is is in huge trouble um people just aren't aren't really interested in racing games full stop no it'd be interesting moment. to see how well dirt show does i i got a feeling it's not gonna do great i've played it, it's good but i i have a feeling <laughs> i have a feeling jeff's gonna say except mario kart Yes. yes indeed. <laughs> Which is not Which a, is not a like, simulation, but it's still like massively popular. I think I heard you know, fairly fairly recently, maybe it's a year or so, or two ago, but Mario Kart DS was like still in the top ten, even though it was like three years old. It's you, just you go into I think store, it's you, because store, it's not a simulation. Absolutely. And right. You, so it's just when I went into a store the other day and it was still selling at near full price. Still. I mean that's that's we have a free DS now. <laughs> it's ridiculous, um, and yeah, that this this launch title is still selling at near full price in, in a retail store, which just tells you everything. Um, it wasn't long. It was early. Sorry. Oh, it wasn't a launch game, but it was early. Wasn't it? I thought I, I must. I think I got my DS a little late, and I got it in the box, and that's why I'm getting confused. Um, fair enough. But it, it is. It is. I think it must be coming up until what six or seven years old now. So, um, <laughs> quiche. Uh, Okay, let's move on to, to the last year and then we'll sort of look ahead to what, what bubbles they could be coming or what bubbles could burst. Um, I think this one is is interesting because um, you could almost substitute the first two words for we, um, but uh, Zan's put them as motion-controlled party games, 2005 to 2010. Um, what's, what's, what's the game you're thinking of in 2005, Zan? Uh, uh, Mario, uh, Mario Sports. There we go. It's a Freudian slip. Um, Wii Sports. It's the weed asshole. Yes, it is. Jeez. And if okay. You, and if you um, remember, that kind of threw me off. Virtually everything that was released on the Wii in the first three years was a was a party game collection of motion control games. You know, we had everything from Raving Rabbits to oh, yeah, so many. And to a certain extent, even We Fit, We Fit is just an extension of that. You know. Yeah. Actually, I would I would lump. Music rhythm games, motion controlled party games, and now dance games all into this category of the item. That's my argument for those. But I, I think we are in the middle of the dance game bubble. I yeah, we are. Yeah, that's the one that took over. It's been around for some time because we did have the dance mat stuff in the PlayStation and PlayStation 2 era, you know, the dance dance revolution and stuff. So they, they've been around a while, haven't they? But yeah, I think that explosion has been the last couple of years. I think I think it spikes with people with with individual games and people not having seen that kind of thing before. You know, Dance Dance Revolution and and then the dance mats and with home consoles and um, now just dance and then Dance Central. And it's interesting. Like I just think you wonder if if Just Dance does make that leap 
to you know being really across every platform and um you know rather than just restricted and and really has a big 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 promotional thing behind the next one i mean i just wonder how many games that 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 franchise could sell with the right you know uh platform behind it but um i i, I don't know how much for them that that, that that bubble's got I, I i think again that's that's uh dependent on what happens next with connect with wii u and stuff like that and that's what makes it interesting but um I, I don't know the the really interesting one i think is the one we started off talking about which is first person shooters military first person shooters because you know for all we're saying that call of duty and battlefield you you know can't split them apart well, i apologize to people who obviously can split them apart you know you're quite right there are important differences between the two um and I'm not even saying that sarcastically, there are, uh, but to the outsider, there are not. Um, like, that, that that bubble is very much ongoing. I'm not entirely 100% sure what will stop it. I, I really don't I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it's about to stop. I think that bubble is continuing. Um, and, it's, and the next Call of Duty will sell as much as the last Call of Duty. I think the, where this uh, has the possibility to go on forever, maybe with one or two of the franchises, is that the Call of Duty in particular, but um, yeah, definitely, yeah, less, much lesser to, to a much lesser extent, Battlefield. Um, in that they've, they've almost become a sport in their own right. And uh, if you take games like Madden and FIFA, they've had legs to last, you know, uh, decades. Um, because essentially what they're doing is just changing the roster every year and adding a few extra gameplay mechanics and tweaks to it you know they're, they're just constantly refining it um and i think what you've seen over the past sort of certainly with the since call of duty 4 what you've seen of that series is just might well to my eyes microscopic but i'm sure to other people not so much but just small refinements and and an annual release model uh, to the point now where you've actually got a, almost an, a subscription model as well to, to to throw in with it um and that's really feeding the whole multiplayer uh, culture, uh, and and it is treating it like a like it was a sports game in effect. You know, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a you know I know it's a bit of a throwaway term, but it is a murder simulator, and it, and, it, and it's um it's 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 made a, a a game that you can constantly go back to and play many many times and become really really good at. Um, that that could last for years and years. I it's it's a really weird and a unique situation. I don't think we've had anything quite like it before. We've certainly had, you know, MMOs like World of Warcraft which have gone on for a long time. And these you know, these particularly Call of Duty for me feels to be something becoming something very similar to that. Where you're just gonna get these annual updates of maps and mechanics um and you're just gonna have, you know, 10, uh, well, I don't know how many sales now, but 5, 10 million people every year happily paying for another copy and, and doing it all over again. Do you think, though, that maybe there's a possibility that the, the head releases in, in those genres, you know, uh, Call of Duty, Halo, uh, um, you know, Call of Duty's already annualized. Um, so, like, between that and, you know, Halo, maybe one other, some of the um, the not AAA ones will just kind of fall by the wayside because they'll just find that no one's playing them or, or um, like, I, I don't know how well other shooters sell. Well, uh, Homefront did really well, I think it, it, that's 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 considering if 
Oh, sorry, let's let's go around. Let's let's start with Zan and then go to Teddy. I was, I was going to say some examples I can think of is Homefront, which tanked. Oh, absolutely. I was um, going to suggest Homefront myself. It's it's really only been uh, Battlefield Three that's made any kind of impact, and even that was fairly mediocre compared to what Call of Duty did. But certainly, most of the other games that have been released along those lines have just not sold at all. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with um, Ghost Recon. Mm. Um, because the, uh, the, the, that game's predecessors were not really military shooty shooty bang bang games like Call of Duty. They weren't, well, they weren't in first person. But from what I understand, this one is. It's like it's going to be Ubisoft's tent peg and, um, in this genre. And I don't know. I just I I think people once they're used to one, you know, um, one se- uh, uh, series. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, one series. Then. Once they're comfortable with that, they'll stick with it. A bit like FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer. You know, I, I think once you've decided that's the one you're going to, you, all your friends are going to play, and that's the one you stick with. It's almost impossible for anyone else to come along and steal steal your thunder. So, I, in many ways, I think all these other kind of first-person shooters that are coming out of these military ones, they're, they're chasing a, um, they're chasing a dream they're never going to achieve. You know, because the shadow cast by Call of Duty is just so big. I think it stands to reason that. A lot of the games will fall by the wayside, especially when you consider Zan's excellent analogy, in my opinion, with sports games. Because if you look at the biggest sports games, there's really maybe one, maybe two major players in each sport, and I mean, rarely even two. So because shooters maybe have a little bit more leeway to play with their their content like genre in terms of what type of story they're telling then they're there's more wiggle there but i mean it's the same thing if they're becoming a sports competitive experience and really anything that's going more online competitively than than anything else then that's going to happen you know they're going to be the ones that just dominate well, I think that's the, that's the interesting thing with gaming in general. I think, and we can look through all the examples we've got, all the of, of bubbles we've listed, um, comparing to other medium like uh, like film and TV or whatever. So you you really get franchises. You get things which lead the pack. Um, you know, with two D platforms, it's Mario and Sonic. With fighting games, it's it's Street Fighter and maybe Tekken or, or Virtual Fighter. But there are um, Soul Calibur movies, but the best example um, with with RTS games, when Freedom, Starcraft, Command and Conquer, uh, and there's certainly first person shooters, Call of Duty, Battlefield. You know, all these things. There are only there are one or two things, and like Jeff is saying, that the, the stragglers struggle. And if those one or two games drop off, uh, I don't see it happening. Call of Duty. I think that's like Zan says, got to the point where it's almost its own platform. Like World of Warcraft is is practically its own platform. Um, you know, uh, if those games drop off, then People aren't really interested in another one, you know, of a clone or anything. People want, you know, we're drawn to that original game. And um, it, I, I, I think it's, it's strange. You don't get that in other media. Well, they, if they fl- well you get it with MMOs because people flirt with it. So you've got a lot of the, the guys who play Warcraft, uh, you know, you have annual subscriptions and stuff. When a new MMO comes out, they'll flirt with it for a month or two like with the old Republic, and then they all go back. Because, again, that's where their friends are, that's where mm. they've invested. And, you know, I think that's... That's not even the the majority of gamers. Those are the ones who are very, very entrenched in in gaming. Like, I have friends who play Call of Duty, and they don't even know about other games. 
Yeah. <laughs> like they just say, "Oh, when's the next Call of Duty coming out?" <laughs> yeah. And that, that's it. Like they, they don't know that there's a game that's like Call of Duty that's coming out the same day. You know, like it, it's not even in their world. I always think of Joe bringing up his examples of his friends who only play Madden, Call of Duty, and Halo. And that's all they play every year. And but you know you can play one of those games each year. Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. You know, but yeah. And Joe does in New Jersey, so. <laughs> Joe, that was Jeff, and he's very sorry. <laughs> he what? didn't mean it. What? Joe lives in Staten Island, doesn't he? He's from New Jersey originally, wasn't he? I don't know. Anyway, I yeah, that's it. close enough. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to say yeah, is. My- Looking back in hindsight, from G, so I, I think I can make fun of it, but maybe I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, you were saying, Sam. Yeah, I think one of the things looking back in hindsight, again, when I was sort of thinking about this topic, was how you know I was sort of thinking back to when I was experiencing some of these these genres at their peak. How for all of them, I kind of thought the same thing as I'm thinking now about about Call of Duty. I know I've just said I can see it going on forever because it's like a platform, but I could also way back in time see you know, 2D fighting games going on forever. Why Why couldn't there be a Street Fighter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10? You know, um, I think one of the things that, you, you know, you can learn from these cycles is that just when you think it's never going to end, it does. And again, the, the really good example was the, you know, the music rhythm game thing. You know, people, you know, 2009 did not see an end. They saw this being a, like you, know, you said, greedy I saw it's been a cash cow for the next 10, 15, 20 years. You know, I, I believe um, Activision had, had, you know, the pretty much the, the music lineup for their Guitar Hero games for the next 10 years, you know, already sort of mm. licensed. And then all of a sudden, it can only, like I said, it can only take one release to sell worse. It doesn't even have to sell badly, just significantly worse, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30% down. And... It's what's been shown in the past is that big publishers get very jittery once they start seeing sales fall. A bit like the movie industry, you know, when you have a sequel that does nowhere near as good as the previous one. And at that point, they then start looking around to what they can jump on next. So, although you know, yeah. I, I cannot see an end in sight, I know looking back that we all had similar sentiments with some of these other bubbles we had. The funny thing is, like for a while, I didn't even know what Activision made besides Call of Duty and Guitar Hero. It's like <laughs> don't think they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not a whole lot. They some of the Marvel games and Spider Man, X Men and you know, none of those were like you know, especially memorable. No. I think I think my my, my thing with, with the first question is why I don't why I, I, I don't wanna I, okay, I'm jinxing some. I'm I'm really sorry, first person shooters, I'm jinxing you now. I don't think they're going away because at the moment they are um you need one for each new console. You have to have, or you need, yeah, you need a console shooter. You need a Resistance or a Killzone or a Gears of War or a Halo. Um, and I know that we're stretching military first-person shooters definition a little bit here, but um, you know, you need that kind of game. Otherwise, you don't shift your console. Um, well, that's at least how Sony, and Microsoft perceive it. Certainly not Nintendo yet, but um, we'll see. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know. You know, the next Xbox is going to have a Halo on it. The next PlayStation, if if, if we get one, is going to have a, a kill zone on it. Um, and that could be the only change, maybe. You know, right now, we are, I mean, where we were for a while, and I guess we still are, just a world kind of at war 
or, or anyway, so maybe the military aspect of it was very popular because that's that's what our reality was. But you know, moving forward, it may switch back to more sci-fi or or whatever, and then we will have lost that military beginning to the first-person shooters. You know, I, I say I include Halo and, and Killzone in them because you can see the military themes anyway, even if they are sci-fi games. There's strong military themes in all those games. So, um, you know, if you want to get specific with Call of Duty and Battlefield, I think you'd have to say contemporary or modern, um, modern warfare. Anyway, I want one question before we go, because I think it's interesting, and I like uh, us making predictions which are stupid and come proven wrong um what 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 bubbles do we see occurring what what's going to be the next the next gaming bubble to occur what what do you see on the on the on the i mean i don't know for example last year we saw skylanders being huge absolutely huge commercially oh, yes. um i love my skylanders you know, that, that could be a cat that could be it. <laughs> any opportunity to to extol on skylanders uh, i'm sure Zan will that's activision the thing uh, that they did that wasn't called <laughs> there you go um i mean that that you know that's why couldn't it? Why couldn't that be the next big thing? The, the the figurine genre, if you want to call it that. Well, judging by how difficult they were to get hold of um, between January and, well, this month, really. That's when they started restocking. Um, and they were going for ridiculous uh, you know, amounts on eBay. Uh, you know, people, some people were paying £50 just for one figure, which is just crazy. Um, yeah, I... I They've definitely they've cottoned on to something with that game. Certainly, where they take it will be interesting. Um, but they've definitely. Well, I, just, I just think it, it, it just Nintendo to come in and say, "Hey, Pokemon Landers or something." I don't know. Pokemon <laughs> figurines done. End of. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> Nintendo makes seen... a billion in a day. Right. Speaking of which, have you, have you seen that uh, the video, the trailer for the new Rayman game? They were showing that technology where you put like a heart on the controller. Uh, we go. And it goes in the game. Yeah. yeah, so I think that that Skylanders type deal could definitely pick up with that with that technology. It and it's something that could be done so easily with you, isn't it? So it, you it know, mm-hmm. yeah. But the, it's very. It is. I mean, I don't know if you guys have played it, but it is very clever. You know, uh, because it's such a simple thing, but it it does make it does make the gameplay experience completely different. Um, I mean, I. <laughs> Just I've got all the figures, okay, so I'm really sad. But what you probably don't appreciate is one of the figures, you also get little pieces of equipment which you can chuck on the portal of power at any time. So, like, you can get a thing that gives you a health potion and stuff, which is a little health potion. So you're sat there playing it, and by the side of you, you've just got all these little figures and all these little um, bits of equipment and that that you're then frantically sort of taking off and putting on as you're playing the game. And it does, it does change it. It does make it slightly more... I don't know, it's probably the ball gamer in me. It, it just makes it a lot more tactile, you know, because uh, you're just moving little pieces around. They definitely cottoned on something, because um, I know I've, once I bought a few, I fell for it and ended up buying them all when I didn't intend to. And uh, two of my friends at work did the same. So there is something nastily addictive about them, in a similar way to Pokemon, I think. So, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. Okay. I just came up with I a have, great idea. I have no idea... I mean, I feel like there are a lot of people like me who aren't super familiar with Skylanders and really don't know how the toys work with the game. Okay, so um, <laughs> okay, so it's a it's a okay. The game itself is a kind of is like it's a bit like Torchlight or something like that. Okay, so it's a three D kiddie friendly dungeon crawling game for want of a better description. 
and the way the game works is that when you buy the starter pack, you get three characters with it, one of whom is Spyro, and the connection with Spyro is so tenuous, it's ridiculous, really. Um, and when you're playing the game, you can you have a little thing, a little uh, base, which is called the Portal of Power, which has batteries in it. It's a little, um, probably three inches um, in diameter plastic base, which has got a Bluetooth receiver in it. And then when you place the figurine on top of it, it's got a near-field communication, you know, much like, you know, cards you might swipe on, on things. And so it detects the character... Oh, like an RFID? It is an RFID, yeah. It's a bit more than that, because the, the actual figures okay. store your stats. So you put the figure on there, and then you, that, that character then appears in the game, and it's, it's, that's who you're playing as. And you level it up, and you gain equipment, and you gain extra abilities. And then when you lift it off, all of that data is still stored on the figure. And when you're playing the game, different parts of the dungeon will be biased towards different types of figures because there are eight different elements, you know, fire, water, the, the usual classic stuff. Um, and each of the figurines come from one of those different uh, elemental classes and certain parts of the dungeons um, will be easier or you'll get extra bonuses by using a particular class. So, you know, when you're in the watery area, you put on one of your water-based Skylanders and you'll be able to unlock extra things or you'll be able to level up quicker with that particular one. And then the beauty of it is, you can take them when you take them off. You can then go to your DS version and put it on its portal, and you can play the DS game, which is totally different, but with the same character and the same stats. Or you can go to a friend's house and you can play co-op, and you're taking the stats with you. Um, in addition to the characters, you nice. now get- how many times do you think a kid went to his friend's house? Yeah. <laughs> um, how many times do you think a kid did go to his friend's house with a toy he just bought and then left with his friend's character? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> if <you still> <laughs> up, imagine yeah. like all the kids fighting over these little toys, and you, you get some um, packs with um, gates and uh, extra things in it, which unlock other areas. And like mm. I said, you get equipment as well, so you get little tiny like potions and stuff. And when you put them on the portal of power, you get those items in the game. So it's it's ingenious. I mean, it's helped by the fact the game is actually good. You know, the game could have stank, um, but it's actually the game is actually really good as well. So it's it's kind of yeah, double whammy really. I mean. I remember seeing it last year with um, with your your co-host and game Burst, James Batcher, mm. at, at an Activision event. And the first thing we said was cash cow, and then but huge risk because at the time we were thinking, well, you know, figurines seem very nineties for where gaming is at now. Yeah. But you, you, you think of where edge gaming is now. We had Lego coming back into gaming, and Pokemon is still around in gaming. It just needs, you know, one of those to to come to get on board. I mean, just imagine if every Lego. Thing you got yeah. had some kind of integration uh, with a game. That's what I was going to suggest is if you could actually build a set like out of actual Legos, because like I hate building anything in a game, you know, like building levels or. But actually playing with Legos is like you know kind of fun. So like if you could do that and like scan your creations and have that show up in the game, like that'd be pretty awesome. I mean, there, there, there's a a huge range of possibilities. Um, and it, the fact that Skylanders forget the, the Spyro thing is essentially a new genre, a new IP, sorry, and has been so successful. Yeah. Just suggests that there's a lot more that can be done. There's a lot of originality. There's more they could do with the technology. I mean, the, new, the next Skylanders, the Giants, they're actually going to have more functionality, and they'll even have... The, they'll have <laughs> this is how sad it gets. They glow as well. So when you put them on there, they've got little lights that glow because the energy's transferred through the portal of power but you know, I'll get excited about that but probably not anyone else <laughs> but yeah you can you know there are there, you know the developers have said there's a lot of stuff they can do with this you know there's you know there's quite a lot of potential so 
Um, I, you know, if it innovates gameplay, then yeah. But I, I think if you're looking for, if you're going to place bets, then I think you're right, Sedan. This is a good one to back. Um, the other I mean, one, the other one, which is, I, I, oh, sorry, I was going to say just one more free suggestion, one which I, I think is cheating because I think it's already happened. Is, is iOS and everything there? You know, the, the, the puzzle game. Or is is back is there and is a bubble yeah. which is not going to go I think on iOS Angry no. Birds Color Rip all that stuff that's happened and that's not going for the next ten years at least I think I think you know why Angry Birds could on its own last another five years if it wanted to and I'm sure it will mm. but sorry Zan you you had one you had well, another suggestion I, I I got a funny feeling because of the huge sales that Skyrim had and the fact that there's what three or four other big RPGs coming out this year. Uh, we've got um, what's the one that's coming out very soon? Hmm. Azora's, <laughs> is it Azora's Wrath? Oh yes, Azora's Wrath. Yes, okay. which is Capcom's first attempt at a yes. open world RPG. We've just had The Witcher ported, and if you look, a lot of you mean Dragon Dragon's Dogma. Dragon's Dogma. Azora's Wrath is not an RPG. No, no, no. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Dragon's Dogma. That's the one. Yeah, that's just come out, okay. isn't it? So I think it's out next week. Here. Yes, mm-hmm. coming out t- tomorrow. Well, so we're recording. It'll be out now. Yes, yeah. And I think if you look at um, what a lot of the studios are doing, a lot of them have looked at Skyrim and thought, you know, um, we can do that. And you know, because it had such phenomenal sales, I, 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 am not just sure it'll be a massive bubble, but I've, I've got a funny feeling we're going to be plagued with a lot of very similar RPGs for the next sort of eighteen months to three years. I was just saying, we, we, yeah, that was one of the ones I was going to suggest too. Like, we're already starting to see that with games like Kingdoms of Amalur and uh, Dragon's Dogma. There's another one too, but I'm. I don't think Kingdoms of Amalur is a good suggestion, unfortunately, because I think that's had a bit of a commercial flop. Unfortunately, right. I think it's, it's, it certainly could have been uh, in the same thing. But, you know, Fallout uh, and, and anything Bethesda's done, and then, uh, like, like I'm saying, The Witcher, and um, they, I don't think it's quite the beginning of the bubble, but. Um, you know, the Skyrim did in its own have huge sales. And like, there's no reason why that game, something can come out and, and do it. I don't think it's going to be Dragon's Dogma because it seems to be divisive. But um, I'm sure there's, there is a game waiting to be made that will, that will do it. This is, yeah, I think it would have this, to be like a, a big studio, though. I mean, those games are expensive. So if Blizzard I mean, I decided guess... to turn up and, and do something along in, in those lines, it wouldn't I work. think it. <laughs> People mm. wouldn't be able to log in. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, yeah, giant open world games are definitely like, it, like that's the new thing. I think we're going to see everywhere. Yeah, I mean, uh, that uh, we could also say, which we didn't cover, but the whole sort of city uh, open world thing, which um, Grand Theft Auto and I guess Saints Row, you'd look at them as as the two, and Grand Theft Auto, the Call of Duty to, to, to Battlefield Saints Row. Um, I mean, I don't know. Is that is that bubble starting? To, is is there as much interest in Grand Theft Auto Five as we'd expect? Assassin's Creed as well. It's the same thing. I think. And in, yeah. Infamous and Prototype. There's been there's been quite crackdown. Crackdown. I think this kind of stuttered along though that genre. I don't. It's 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 sort of threatened to sort of explode, but then what's tended to happen is there's been a mediocre release. It's kind of just sort of kept everything in check again. You know, I think of things like Crackdown Two, which you know was underperformed and then I think the most recent mm. prototype wasn't well received either so you know it's sort of bumbled along It again I, I think it depends what happens with um, uh, Grand Theft Auto 5 but I, I, I think similar to the 
you know what Jeff was saying about um, Skyrim. They're so expensive to make these games that it's it's tricky to see it becoming uh, huge. But you just never know, especially with the next generation of machines. It may be a lot easier to do. You know, a lot of the stuff may be. Well, I think with, with, with GTA, I mean, some... with GTA, you look at what GTA Four they tried to do with the the episodes, and I think they will uh, Rockstar will pursue that even more fiercely this time, and you you can expect. I would imagine you'd expect four or five or six, um, all more closely related, because you know they, like you said, they put a lot of money into these things, and they want to get as much back. And I, don't, I think they'll learn from their mistakes and probably not sign exclusive deals uh, and look at releasing them closer to the release the original game and, and things like that. And I, I, I think Grand Theft Auto V could go either way. I'm not sure at this stage. But anyway, sorry, Jeff, I'm keeping interrupting you. What were you going to say? Um, can't remember. So I mentioned I think that was me. Okay, Eddie, you go. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, what I was gonna say had to do with the Skyrim type games. I I was gonna say that, like that, that was what came to mind to me. But then again, those games also take forever to make, so it always seems like less of a bubble because they have long development cycles and um, people play them for a long time as opposed to finishing and then moving on to the next one. And I feel like we've always seen these, I mean, they're Western RPGs. Go, I mean, they go back to like Dungeons and Dragons on a tabletop. Uh, I would consider even uh, Dark Souls and, and Demon Souls part of that. And I feel like they've always been there, but... I think that maybe there will be more emulation of the Elder Scrolls style moving forward. Could well be. Could well be. I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's fun to, to predict. I'm, I'd love to think that we're going to look smart in a few years. I suspect we'll all have egg on our faces when I don't know. Well, judging by um, history, we'll, we'll all be wrong. <laughs> exactly. The space, the space simulation genre is going to take over oh, in 2015. So. Turn-based strategy games. Uh, Actually, I remember. I remember what I was gonna say now. Suspense. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe this is just me, but I feel like the two genres that like are basically never going to go out are two D platformers and first person shooters. And I think the reason for that is they're just very easy to play. I mean, two D platformers did go out for a while around you know, Nintendo One and GameCube era. and now they're back, and like I think that now they're back. Now that um, you know, now that indie developers can make them without charging sixty bucks for them, that's has a lot to do with why they're so um, for, um, popular right now. Absolutely. But but like you know, they're just very simple to play. Like everyone play Mario. It's you know a D pad and a jump button, like maybe a run or a shoot button or something for for their games. And for first person shooters, it's just like you point and shoot and. You know, real-time strategy games, like, you know, they definitely have their audience. But that That's a hard thing to learn, right? And um, so are fighting games. That's a genre I'm not really into, but the reason I'm not that into it is, like, I've never taken the time to, like, really come to grips with, you know, the... The highlights of, this, of the genre. So, well, it's, it's another thing with fighting games. It's a really good, really good contrast to pick up on because with fighting games, you have to learn the individual controls for that game. Whereas with a shooter, uh, the clever thing about most shooters, Call of Duty, Battlefield, and all them, they tend to adopt each other's control scheme. There tends to be a universal control scheme. You may find slight differences between the two, and often those slight differences can cause huge annoyances. But in general, you know how to play any shooter, 
you know, uh, it, it's not everything's kind of mapped as you'd expect, and that's huge. That's that's you know makes it very easy to pick one up in the shops because there's no intimidation whatsoever. Right. Yeah. You just have to just learn like maybe a couple buttons are different, but that's about it. So, and I, yeah, just think of like for that reason, these they're just such. Yeah, like they're just too easy to come to grips with. Even like, even the uh, world games we were just talking about, like those have a pretty big learning curve too. I'm I'm gonna close. I think that's a very good point. I'm gonna close with my really out of left field prediction for the next big thing. It's not gonna be particularly big, but I think it'll be it'll have a bubble of its own, and I think that is the MMO RTS. You heard it here first. Wow. MMO RTS. Not going to be a huge bubble, but it will have its bubble. Yeah, See if I'm right in two right. years' time. <laughs> what sort of odds can you offer you on that? That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, it's a pretty safe one, because if I'm wrong, who cares? If I'm right, I'm a genius. I see Mavis Beacon coming back. <laughs> <laughs> in a big way. Okay, that is out of left field. Um, Mavis Beacon teaches space shooting. <laughs> Mavis Beacon teaches... Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We have to do a retrospective on this podcast in a few years' time, if we're still around. Um, okay, I'm going to call it, call it, call it there. Um, unless anyone anyone had any, anything burning they want to say before we go uh, to the to the closings. Yes. No. No, no. Okay, so uh, that that was that was cool, uh, guys. Before we go, I'd love to uh, for you to plug something, maybe your own or, or something of, of someone else's that you've uh, that you'd like to plug. Um, I will start with you, Eddie, because uh, you usually have something interesting to plug. So, what do you, what do you want to plug? Whoa. Yeah, I've got all kinds of things to plug. Yeah. Um, actually, I've got one one main thing to plug. It's called GamerNode.com. Actually, right now we're in the middle of a big series that is spotlighting various publishers on our way into E3. So we're taking our publishers and just explaining what they're going to have at the show and what we expect and that sort of thing, which is a really cool thing to do because now I actually know what's going on at E3. <laughs> First year. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. So, so um, you're going to be having those in the, in the coming weeks as we get in towards. Yeah, uh, we already have uh, five of them up now: THQ, Capcom, Square Enix, uh, Microsoft Game Studios, and Namco just went up. Wow, big guys, big stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's GameNode.com as always, as ever. Um, and you guys have been—I just wanted to really note because I'm working on a review at the moment, which will be up uh, on a site for a certain uh, scrolling isometrically combat-y, heavy, dungeon crawler game, which... Um, Error 37-y. Error 37-y game. Um, there's been a, a kind of change in tone of reviews as well. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. Uh, uh, I didn't know that I hadn't talked about it yet, but yeah, um, our reviews are... I'd say a little bit different from what you might expect from your your standard uh, buyer's guide type review. Um, we basically want to to explain the significance of a game, the experience of a game, in terms of what value it has in the scope of the of the larger industry or in players' lives, and and what it really means to play that game, like how it feels to play that game, and and what the takeaway uh, messages or or what the takeaway experience was for 
for us as gamers and what it might be for our readers as gamers? Uh, well, I think the only way to really find it out for yourself is to, is to go to GamerNet.com, which um, you should do, and you should read that review, whoever, by, whoever it is by, and whatever <laughs> it's about. Um, so that is very cool. Jeff, Jeffrey Matleff, what would you like to plug, sir? Um, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I know I've read a lot of good stuff, and nothing's come to, to mind right now, so I'll just be a jerk and plug myself. Um, <laughs> you jerk. What have you been up to? Um, let's see. So I, I've been doing uh, news for MTV Multiplayer now, and I also, uh, I you know, still play all over. I've been doing a lot for Eurogamer lately, and I will be covering E3 for them. Very cool. cool. I mean, the, the, the MTV Multiplayer thing is very, very cool. All of that, that is, of, uh, you know, big people did that job previously. Uh, people mm-hmm. like Steven Sotillo and uh, <laughs> and Patrick Klepek. Yeah. So Jeffrey Matt left a new big name at MTV Multiplayer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, cool. So that is uh, what Jeff's been up to. Zan, um, you do everything. Uh, it, what have you been up to that, that we should send uh, people towards? Um, well, two things. Uh, one quick one is I'm going to the uh, UK Games Expo on this weekend after the show, which is the UK's Very cool. biggest board and car gaming event, tabletop gaming event, so I shall see people like Mr Chris O'Regan and stuff there, so that should be cool. Where where will that be at? It's in Birmingham, uh, Edgebaston. Uh, I went last also, year, it's very good. So at, at the cricket ground? Uh, no, it's, a, it's at a couple of big hotels, not far from there. It's at the okay. Stady Bridge Suites, whatever they call it. Yeah, they take over like a, about four floors of a hotel. It's, um, you know, their, their conference centre. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, the thing I want to plug is uh, what I've been listening to a lot recently, actually, which is um, the stuff that the guys at uh, Gonzo Planet have been doing. Um, uh, Alex Shaw's Digital Gonzo podcast—they've been really focusing on on uh, sort of uh, comic book and science fiction movies for the past sort of two months. They did a great job building up to the Avengers, where they covered all of the previous films. Uh, so I found those quite in- very enlightening. Not knowing much about some of those, uh, those 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 movies at all um they're doing all they're doing i think eight batman movies now one a week which is you know including a lot of the uh animated series which is going some but they they're just exceptionally good uh podcasts where they they really go into depth and go into a lot of background about how the you know the films were made and produced and uh some of the movie trivia that goes with it really good so you can find them at um, gonzoplanet.com Excellent stuff. Um, yes, and a big hello from all of us here at BRP to our, to our friends at Gonzo Planet. Uh, right, last one for me then. I'm going to plug uh, um, a developer by the name of Christine Love, who I don't know, uh, are any of you guys familiar with, with her and her work? I, I'm familiar, but have not played her stuff yet. Okay, well, uh, her latest game, which is um, Analog, A Hate Story, came out on, on Steam last month and, and uh, I'm not going to talk about its quality I just think it's a particularly interesting and different game um, you know uh, the, outwardly it looks like a visual novel but uh, you actually play and it's a bit more complicated than that it touches on the kind of themes which you just don't see in other games uh, and uh, her other stuff as well um, digital love story and um, the really long one which um, you should just go I can't remember the name of it in full but um uh, it, it, yeah, 
her, her stuff is really interesting, really different. And um, if you're looking for something that's off the beaten track uh, as we approach what's going to be a big summer of beaten track games, um, it's well worth checking out. Uh, you can find Analog A Hate Story on Steam and you can find all her other work for free on the on the internet. So you should go look for it. Right, that is it from me, uh, from Jeff, from Zan and from Eddie. Uh, sorry about the wait with uh, the last two months. Uh, we will try, but we never promise these days to do better next time. And uh, uh, whenever we do arrive, we hope that you'll be joining us. Until then, bye for now. are joe here from the end of the world uh or as you guys know at the end of big red potion um it's a sad day of course um but to me it's it's more of a new beginning because now i get to say all the things about my co-host that i couldn't say for the past couple years uh to prevent any 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 on-air bickering from happening let me tell you about these guys okay sinan kuba first of all the biggest ego like the dude all he does is talk about me, 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 me. I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm so smart. Blah, 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 blah. You have no idea. Like, uh, on the air, off the air, he refers to himself in the third person, which is really weird when you're talking to him one-on-one. Because I almost think as if, like, are you talking about someone else? Are you talking about me through your name? What's going on? It's really confusing. And he's such a, such a bastard. Such a bastard. Um, you know, Jeff... You know, he seems like the sweetest boy with the sweetest stash, but man, he he will lie to your face, and he, he will smack your mother in the mouth when you turn around. He is just a, a devilish man. Eddie, you think he's the the, 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 the wonderful boy who, 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 who runs around on a broomstick when you're not looking? But man, what a potty mouth on that guy. Like, you, you talk to him for two seconds, and jeez, uh, like, just the most virulent awful things just awful off and 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 zan like oh my god he seems like you know i'm a you know, very sweet guy i'm a dad to snap but my god when you get him alone in a room which you know keep in mind i have never done but when you do you just don't want to be there like you want to actually exit your own body and run as far away as you can from your own body because it's that bad um and this is normally the part where I would say, oh, I'm just joking, all in good fun. But actually, it was all true. Like, they're all just dicks. Um, so it's with my great pleasure that I say that, peace out, Big Red Potion. I, I can now escape these horrible people that I've spent, you know, two and a half wonderful years talking to. Um, and I'm really going to miss uh, talking to them, even though they are bastards. Just all of them, just brutal, awful bastards. But you know what? Uh, in, in all seriousness, the, the show has been so much fun. And I really need to thank... Um, first of all, everyone who's listened to this show, uh, and by show I mean us waffling on for an hour and a half at a time, because, I mean, you know, you guys drove us from show to show. You guys made us constantly want to improve our 
our, ourselves and make ourselves better podcasters, make ourselves better thinkers uh, and come up with like challenging topics that people would actually want to hear about. Cause otherwise it would have just been like us talking about how great we all are and, and propping up. Oh, I, I did this. I did this. It was so good. I wrote this article, blah, blah, blah. you know, and you kept us from doing that. So thank you for that. Uh, the, the people have been wonderful and everyone who has stuck with us uh, for all this time. Just thank you so much. Cause you guys are friggin' awesome. And in all seriousness, uh, you know, Jeff, Zan, Eddie, and Sinan, um, you guys are the fucking balls. You guys are the best. Like I, if, if it was at all possible to fly you out here for my wedding, I would do that and, and drink with all of you until we are all so drinked that we have been drunk under the table by ourselves. Um, you guys are amazing and, and wonderful people. And it was a, just a true honor to talk to you guys on a weekly to semi-weekly basis about video games. Cause Hey, what else is there to talk about? Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's a really sad day that Big Red Potion is ending, but I know for a fact that my friendships with these guys are going to continue to live on, and I will consistently find excuses to talk to these guys, and possibly even podcast with them, if possible, um, because that would be kind of rad. But yeah, um, thank you everyone who's listened to the show for this long. Thank you to to Jeff, to Eddie, to Zan, and of course to my main man, to my master of disaster, Sinan Kuba for being just the coolest guy and you know even though I've I've taken a back seat re- you know the last couple of years and and had to kind of go off and do my own thing he's just constantly found ways to involve me and to, to bring me into the loop and and make me feel like a special person and and to my to my UK brother I I say thank you you are a gentleman and a scholar and I love you to death um but yeah you know uh thank you guys again for listening thanks for sticking with us and I hope to one day uh, journey through your ear holes once again uh, in whatever form that may be. Um, so thank you, and um, farewell, Big Red Potion. You have been a pleasure and an honor, and I hate you all. Good night. So this is about the fourth time that I've tried to record this and I've not been able to keep a brief so far. I'm going to try and be quicker about this because there's a lot I want to say before signing off. And um, I guess I'll very, very quickly get to the why as to why the show is coming to a close. And I've waffled so much that, you know, I think I'll just be blunt about it. It's just not... I didn't really want to do it anymore. My heart wasn't in it. There's been so much going on in my life. Responsibilities, health issues, um, family, friends, and it's just become harder and harder to do this show, to find the time to do it, and, and moreover, to find the time to throw myself into it like I did before. And uh, so I, I, I didn't want to be a part of it anymore, or at least I didn't want to be a part of it where I wasn't throwing myself into it anymore. And I felt that I should step away from the podcast, and that eventually germinated into this sort of and decision that it was the time for the for the show to come to an end. I think everyone agreed. There was 
completely amicable parting of the ways, as it were. Um, no one is, I, I hope at least, uh, from David all assured me that no one is annoyed about the decision. I think it's it's sad, but uh, I think we all agreed that it was time to move on, and it was time for Big Red Potion to move on. You know, in like in the, in the three years that we've been doing this, games discussion has moved on so much, nothing to do with us, I'll put that out there, but you know, there's loads of fantastic, intelligent gaming podcasts, magazines, websites, blogs, whatever. Um, it's never been a better time to be an intelligent gamer, and I feel even if we didn't contribute to that, I feel like it's nice that we can sign off on that and uh, and know that we tried. And, um, you know, hopefully sometimes we succeeded in delivering that, that uh, original mandate of intelligent gaming discussion. Um, so um, my initial thanks have to go to everyone who helped get the podcast off its feet, that the people who gave up their time to kind of educate me about podcasting, and then the people who gave up their their money and uh, their website space, uh, their online space, I guess, to, to keep the show running. That's the game reviews, people like Ben Fisher and John Luster. Thank you so much. And, of course, Eddie Inzato at Gamernode. Um, thank you. We couldn't have done the podcast without, without your uh, generosity. It means a lot. To every single guest, no matter how uh, high profile or how um, much time they gave, whatever, it... it each one of you was superb. You were so important, especially in that first year of the show. Um, we couldn't have done it without the guests. And um, it was nice to have that year when we were this guest-based podcast and we had all these different faces that we got to meet. And, you know, one, one day it would be, you know, Dits from the, from the same coin and the next would be Justin McElroy from The Verge. So, you know, it was incredibly exciting. And um, I, I, I can't thank every single person who who was appeared on the show enough your your time your effort your your views your opinions thank you so much for sharing them with us to um the three guests who became part of the fives Suzanne, eddie and jeff again your time your patience your honesty your intelligence and your passion i can't thank you for for that enough and um you know the other thing I'm excited about is uh, how we're leaving the show with these guys and, and the, the, the futures for them. Uh, Zan, now a proud father, and of course um, uh, doing such amazing stuff with Game Burst and uh, continuing like inspiration, I, I, I think, for podcasters. Jeff, who has made it, he's now the Eurogamer US news editor, and I, I couldn't be happy for him. Um, he, he absolutely deserves it, and he's a fantastic writer, and he was a huge servant to this podcast. And Eddie, who has taken Gamernode to bigger and bigger heights over the last three years, um, and I'm sure that he's going to continue doing stunning work there, or whatever he does next. So that that means so much to me to see them doing so well. And um, to you three, thank you, thank you so much. To my girlfriend, <laughs> I have to say a huge thank you because it's not fun being a, podca- a podcaster's partner. You you lose your time, you lose your ability to go out on certain evenings, or to uh, or, or to watch television, or to download something because of your annoying partner and his esoteric podcasting schedule. So um, to Laura for her patience and her support, thank you, thank you so much. Um, and then that takes me to my second to last one, which has to be, of course, Joe. Um, you know, I knew from the instant I read some of Joe's writing and 
got talking to him online that this was a guy I would really like and he he certainly didn't let me down on that he is so passionate so hard working so funny and clever with it that's the annoying thing like he's got all these qualities and he's smart with it and um, he's just this incredible incredible guy um, who I'm blessed to have in my life and I couldn't be happier for him and Ashley when they're uh, upcoming marriage very very soon and um I'm, I'm so happy for him and I'm so thankful for all that he put in and he put in so much he put me to shame uh, and um, Joe thank you you've been incredible and I will so miss talking with you on this um, and, and, and everyone as well Zan, Jeff and Eddie I don't know what I'm going to do at Christmas <laughs> when when we're supposed to be doing our Game of the Year show I will be so sad if if we cannot talk about all the games we've played each year um and that leaves me with you guys, the listeners, and I've managed to keep this to six and a half minutes, so I can give you guys a big long thank you because, you know, we're just this little show, and to have the, the numbers of listeners that we've had, um, it's overwhelming. The support that we've had has been incredible. Um, I know people who follow the show from, from day one, three years ago, it's more than three years ago now, and um, that just blows me away. Three years of my life doing this and to have you guys supporting me and everyone involved while that's been going on it's been uh i can't even can't even express it i yeah thank you um personally i will go on to pastures new soon uh, i'd love to announce it here but i can't yet but you can certainly find out if you follow me on twitter or facebook or whatever um and i'm excited about that and i'm excited to kind of sign off from big Red Potion on that um it helped me get there, certainly, and um, yeah, I'm I'm incredibly thankful to this podcast <laughs> for what it is. Um, and look, I'm just getting waffly, and it's eight and a half minutes. Um, I really don't know how to end this. Uh, I uh, I guess the only thing left to say is that this has been Big Red Potion. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now. Canadian musician who recorded a lot of music, and in particular Podsafe music, which was music that he allowed to be used without concerns of charge. He made it completely free of use to be used in any kind of media, including podcasts, including the theme to this podcast, 
washing off like an aardvark. Derek sadly lost his fight with colorectal cancer in May of last year, and this podcast is dedicated to his memory. Thank you, Derek.